0: Download the episodes and make sure
1: to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn
0: more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack.
1: You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now...
0: We often take you behind the racket here on the behind the racket pod but it's time for us to introduce a new segment as we go in front of mental health with dr jonathan katz and we do welcome for the first time this will be a regular monthly segment for the first time though we welcome dr katz in you guys have been doing your behind the racket instagram lives over the last several weeks but for for people who might not know you dr katz uh explain your path to being involved with behind the racket
2: uh yeah so i am a uh, clinical psychologist and a sports psychologist by training i've been a kind of a competitive athlete my whole life Uh, did play some competitive tennis for part of my life and been a serious long distance runner marathon ultra marathoner most of my life i've done a lot of work with amateur collegiate and professional athletes including uh, a bunch of uh, a fair amount of uh, high level uh touring pros uh, over the years as well as some top juniors um, Noah and I kind of uh, kind of got back in touch after meeting a bunch of years ago and uh, probably in mid-April we started working together and I uh, joined the Behind the Racket team as the uh, mental health advisor and the in-house performance uh, psychologist and performance coach working with Noah and the Behind the Racket team. So I'm, I'm happy to be here and I'm looking forward to the uh, monthly podcast.
0: I know, obviously, most of uh, Mr. Rubin's colleagues who have been with him on tour for the last several years will say this is something, obviously, that needed to happen um, many years ago.
1: See, I was going to make a joke about you and that's funny and that's why you cut me off. I was going to say he runs marathons and you know something about her marathon. So you guys have that in common. <laughs>
2: See, little to both of you guys know that the input that I've gotten from many people in the tennis world about coming on to help both of you (laughs) has been the most powerful source. So I just want to kind of come clean the name of honesty and transparency. It's all out there now. Um, You know, I I actually,
0: before we get into some of the topics we wanted to talk to, uh, Noah and I, um, I believe back in the day, back in the 50s, you would say we bust each other's balls. Uh, whatever phrase you want to talk about how much we joke and, and mock each other. Um, how, how do, I, this is more for personal than anything else. How do you balance those things? Dr. Katz where I, I think Noah knows I, I love him. I, I know he hates me, but you know, says he loves me. Um, but how do you, how do you balance those things when you're, your friends and you know, that line, uh, of what's, what's appropriate and what's not, especially in a time like this.
2: Well, I actually think sense of humor is just an incredibly important quality just generally in people. It's, it's very appealing. Actually, even in my line of work where you're dealing with some very serious, complex, uh, and emotionally charged issues, uh, I've often thrown in a kind of a sense of humor as part of the process because I think in order to live a full life, we need to laugh at things even in the face of adversity and upset. So, you know, I appreciate listening to you guys on the previous podcast, busting each other's balls left and right. Uh, I would be happy to kind of uh, play my part in that. Uh, I'm sure we'll be able to kind of uh, segue between serious topics and and issues, which I'm sure we'll have time to get into. But I also think a sense of humor and ability to laugh not only at ourselves, but with our friends. And, And I think you guys know each other and clearly care about each other. And I think that that's where the humor becomes genuine and and enjoyable for for each other and for the listening audience, I'm sure.
1: Mike, you should definitely put that on the grocery list.
0: Yeah, I will, Uh, along (laughs) with the macaroni and cheese and spaghettios that my daughter's eating. Uh, That's that's what I've got. So uh, we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. And and Noah, I know you wanted to talk about it. You guys have released on Behind the Racket uh, the the latest uh, page, Daria Kazakina.
1: Yeah, I think I kind of wanted to go into a few topics that she covered and spoke about. I mean, and, you know, during this time and Dr. Cass and Mike and I as well have gone into how this time has highlighted and escalated a lot of feelings that we feel throughout the year. But during, I mean, we have protests and bushfires and pandemics and crazy fans that a lot of this comes to light in a highlighted way. Um I think the first thing that I wanted to go into, even before Kazaktina, I think um, is something a lot of people actually have reached out to me about, is just navigating screen time. We are home alone, Um, You know, a lot of us are alone, and we are on our phones almost seems like 25 hours a day. How do we change this pattern up? How do we change the routine up that we actually give ourselves a little time away from the screen you know, what we, you know, give us some headspace, some meditation, whatever the case may be. But how do we balance that in this time?
2: Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I mean, listen, I think people are using their screens even more because they're home and they're trying to stay connected to friends and families and loved ones. Um, But sometimes it really, um, you know, necessitates kind of making a more kind of disciplined approach, meaning, you know, there's common things like not trying to bring your your, your phone or your screens into into your bedroom or not listening or reading to things prior to going bed. Or, you know, some people, the, the, the good, the good Jewish guy that you are, you know, people have talked about a digital Sabbath, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. taking specific time periods where they're just going to commit to putting their screens aside. This becomes increasingly more difficult the more one uses it. But I think, you know, one needs to step back and just think more about what is the purpose of what I am doing with this? Um, and that sometimes helps people reflect on that. Sometimes more is not always better. And it's important to kind of just put things aside to get a break.
0: Are you seeing uh, within your practice, not only amongst athletes, just, just the general public, more and more, if you will, screen addiction?
2: Um, I think, yeah, I mean, listen, I think screen addiction is something that is just common as it's become part of the, the world we live in and young kids are now have screens and developing. So it becomes kind of, it, it's this immediate feedback. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's particularly detrimental for a lot of teenagers and young adults because a lot of they've grown up with it and is the way to kind of monitor how people are, Kind of reacting to you, and 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 are they verifying kind of what you're doing and and liking you? Uh, so it's 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 kind of a way that people are just getting constant feedback, and it's very hard not to kind of have that when you're used to it.
0: It's been an interesting time for, for my podcast partner, Noah. Um, I, obviously, as, as you know, Dr. Katz, uh, a couple weeks ago, Noah has gotten into some uh, social media discussions um, because of a comment he made about one particular thing about Novak Djokovic, and it has been extrapolated by the social media world to something that's much bigger. But it comes to this, this bigger issue of how you, you balance um, self-worth in an issue uh, in the age of social media, um, how you make sure that you are on the path you want to be mental health wise when you might be receiving so many negative, uh, not only uh, personal negative attacks, but also with so much negativity um, that you do see on social media, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever?
2: Well, I think it really starts with what is the purpose of what you want to say. So if you want to make a point like, Noah did, which could be a controversial point or generate a lot of strong reaction. You have to make this about that it's important for you to make the point you wanna make. And then you have to let go of of what is gonna come back to you. That is not really the purpose of why you're doing it. So I know this is easier said than done when people are saying hurtful or mean or really disparaging things. But like if the purpose is to make a point about something that you feel strongly about, then I think that it's not going to be that productive to engage with the trolls who are just kind of trying to antagonize you or commenting on things that are really destructive and not very helpful.
1: I want to kind of go back into, you know, Daria's behind the racket today, quoting her, at some point you break down. Most of the professional players reach a point where they cannot do it anymore. And, you know, this goes into a lot of things that are taking place right now, where it's this idea of facing constant loss and constant battles where you don't know how to get out of it. You don't know how to dig your way out of, you know, a hole like that. Um, and a time like this where you're, you're faced with a lot of adversity, um, I know we spoke about it at, at certain times, but where do you go from here? Where do you go when you are seeing, you know, kind of when we talk about perseverance, how do you get to that point where
2: no matter what is thrown your way, you can find a way to battle about? Well, this really gets to the topic of resilience <laughs> uh, and how do we develop it? Uh, how do we sustain it? Um, you know, I think the good news is that a lot of the res- research on resilience shows that it's not really based in genetics, it is something that we can, can learn and, and work on. And I think, you know, um, one of the key things is, is developing a resilience toolbox. I mean, things that we can kind of incorporate that help us deal with the challenges and the setbacks that we have. And I, I think, you know, having a sense of optimism, uh, kind of a realistic optimism is important. You know, a moral compass for some people or a religious or spiritual sense of self, cognitive and emotional flexibility is important. And social connections become hugely important in terms of resilience. I know she also talked about you know, seeing a psychologist and being able to talk through some of her issues and finding strategies and techniques that she could develop to manage these situations before. I think communication is is really essential in this kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Do you think a time like this, uh, people really start you know keeping things in more than ever? Do you see that more people are going out and seeking help, or during this time of isolation, people feel more isolated than ever? I'm actually curious what's going on because i've seen a lot of my friends actually become more isolated than they have before in the past and it has concerned me and i don't know how to get them out of that place
2: so i've often thought from the beginning of this that what we tend to see in stressful situations is that people's own personality styles and characteristics and their relationships the patterns that are there are exacerbated during these times so when you may see like like in marriages that or relationships that have a strong foundation that is really solidified during this crisis period whereas other relationships that might be tenuous and not and maybe dysfunctional to a degree some of that those cracks in the armor get exposed a lot more so what you might be seeing is that people who might be more introverted holding things inside are even doing that more at a time where the stress is greater leaving them open to kind of more potentially mental health issues or emotional, psychological issues, and people who are used to reaching out um, kind of are probably doing that even more. And even as stressful it is, they feel more connected to other people because, you know, you see people, even in families that they may not have had that functional relationship, people are connecting more. But in some relationships where people are feeling isolated, they, that intensifies, where they haven't established that. So I think we see sometimes two extremes kind of the one that have a good foundational support that really solidifying and people who are feeling more isolated and lonely that could be intensifying as well you mentioned the
0: idea of the resilience toolbox um that that is one thing for for tennis players that can obviously uh, be used on and off the court um we're also looking at the idea of a resilience toolbox for people who continue to see so many negative things whether it be um, the continuous uh, justice issues for African-Americans within our country, obviously dealing with the pandemic, financial woes. Um, I, I'm wondering if you can kind of talk about some of the ideas of um, the, the, the things inside your toolbox that might be able to translate for, for tennis players and also to, to people who are just seeing so many negative things within their lives right now.
2: Yeah, well, I think in tennis, to me, some of the hallmarks of really great players is the ability to be nimble and creative and flexible during the course of a match, so right? Other, the, the opposite ability, of Noah, obviously. <laughs> the ability to, uh, especially when things are not going well, right, to be able to step back, assess things, not get overly emotional. Uh, because when people get emotional and anxious during, like, say, competition, often what it happens is the blinders get put on mm. and they can see very fewer options that they need to take on. And so in times of distress, if one could settle oneself back off and then start looking about what's a, what's a plan B today because plan A is not working, uh, that is really key. So to me, that speaks to a open-minded, kind of an optimistic viewpoint, uh, looking through a lens, a mindset that is more optimistic. What can I do to get better? Not what is problematic. I mean, I already know that my backhand can't stay in the court today. So to beat myself up about that is not gonna help me feel better. It's like, okay, what do I need to go do to, to get back in this match? You know, I talked to, to Noah a bit about like when he came back from his wrist injury, coming back from injuries is a very common thing in these mm-hmm. kind of things because athletes tend to then get on the court and think about what they can't do as opposed to, okay, my, my wrist is sore and not as strong. I have to make this about how do I manage this as effectively as I can not that I can't hit my backhand down the line or serve with the strength that I'm normally uh, able to do.
1: Do you think that a lot of the tools we be will be learning, you know, I don't know how long this pandemic is going to go on for, but everything we've dealt with, can that translate to athletics? Can that translate to on-court resilience? Is there a correlation?
2: I do think that. You know, basically, you know, resilience is really about, right, being able to, um, the ability to recover from, you know, difficult experiences and setbacks, and really to adapt and move forward and hopefully grow from that. So on a more macro level, I would say yes. Here would be my concern uh, from an athletic competitive point of view. I think what we don't know yet is the kind of the emotional beatdown, so to speak, of the cumulative impact of this. So you may be in a match and feel like, man, I, I, I've come through these last couple of months, I'm happy as hell to be on the court now competing, but you know there may be a point where you need to draw that inner strength and that kind of emotional fragility may come to the forefront just because of the six months or nine months or whatever it will be that you've had to work so hard to keep the pieces together. So that's what we don't know. That's what we don't know going forward
1: yeah and this has been a topic and I just want to keep uttering it because I think a lot of people need to hear it and especially from you that you know is actually a doctor unlike Mike that just has a hawk mm-hmm. but um, this idea of being kind to yourself and you know and this takes us kind of into you know there's going to be unexpected outcomes and results and, and obstacles our way so it's this idea of you know, taking some time and being okay with how you've done that day. And you know that you put a solid effort out there. I mean, what, how important is that during times like this?
2: Yeah, I, I know this is something you and I have talked about from, from the get-go when we first started talking and working together. Self-care is hugely important. Listen, um, we all live in the world as social beings. We have some, you know, relationships of different kinds, but ultimately we're all responsible for ourselves and our own happiness and well being. And, and nobody can really take care of us if we can't learn to take care of ourselves. So this is really not the time to become overly self-critical or judgmental. Um, I think we have to understand the situation we're in. And like you said, there's a certain amount of generosity and kindness that I think is important in an altruistic way that we try to provide for other people around us. But it's just really important that we take care of ourselves. There's not a person alive who can't, find out or mention something that they're not doing as well as they used to do under normal conditions. So there's always ways we can find to beat up ourselves for what we may not be doing as well. Now is not the time to be overly self-critical as a way of pushing yourself further. Uh, Self-care is really important um, from a mental health point of view and moving forward.
0: That being said, uh, Dr. Katz, as you know, self-care is it's fantastic if you're able to get to that point, right? Um, and you're able to practice it regularly. For a lot of people, um, especially in the States, um, you know, healthcare right now is uh, difficult to say the least with so many people out of work may have lost their healthcare opportunities. Um, working with somebody in the mental health world has become harder and harder. How does one practice that idea of self-care um, when, it, when it has become so difficult to get, um, I guess, professional help here in the States?
2: Well, yeah, so one of the things is, yeah, I mean, listen, I think this is the time where if people feel for whatever reasons they're not able to connect to a mental health professional um, from maybe its financial reasons, although, you know, I know there are a lot of more opportunities now with online presences and things that are much more affordable. But what I would say is that I would just try to stay really connected to people that you know and trust and care about, be able to share some of those feelings because I think even just talking about them, especially with people who are loving and caring back to you can be enormously helpful. It's not the same thing as kind of of a therapeutic process, but that connectedness can be kind of a a bridge uh, for the gap that may lead to kind of maybe at some future point of getting kind of more professional help. But I would say, Social connectedness is is key in, in, in that in that regard.
0: We have been hit time after time this year. Um, and Noah and I started the year essentially together in in Melbourne, um, as we were dealing with the, the bush. It feels God like eight eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. <no> um, joke. <laughs> but we started, you know, and and at the time this there was this idea of the the brush fires in Australia, and and then you know we get back here to the states and. Uh, oh, my gosh, this this pandemic is actually, you know, coming here and is becoming more of an issue. And, you know, then it's the murder hornets. And then obviously then the much on a much more serious scale, the idea of uh, a social justice um, and criminal justice reform here in the states. And it feels like that it just keeps piling on. A- and I, I guess I want to go to the idea of how how do we prepare for for these things that are just seeming to come at us from nowhere? The idea of how do we prepare for the unexpected?
2: Well, I think part of that is just drawing on your inner strength. Um, I would say uh, on that, it's very important, especially during times like this, to not get too far ahead of yourself. Um, The danger when things are really very stressful and going poorly is that we tend to project into the future uh, based on what is happening now. And that can often lead people to become more upset, depressed, and kind of pessimistic. I think when things are so problematic, I think you need people need to think kind of more immediately, what do they need to do each day to take care of themselves, to take care of the world at large? Um, how can they do things for themselves, for the people around them, for society, uh, in a kind of a more altruistic way, but not get too far ahead of themselves in terms of thinking about what's the world going to be like a month from now or six months from now because that can be very overwhelming at a time where, that we're taxed already.
1: Taking it to the athletics and specifically tennis world, you know, we're a couple months away from possibly holding the US Open. Um, we have no idea what's going to happen before then, if there's going to be Washington DC, uh, Western or Southern Open. We have no idea. So how do you address, I'm sure there's some similarities, Um, between world events and then an athlete who's trying to possibly prepare for competition. I use quotes because we don't know what that looks like. You know, is it exhibitions? Is it actual tournaments? Um, So what's the first couple steps into at least keeping an even keel?
2: Well, I think, you know, as you know, Noah, one of the things that athletes do – Better than or high level athletes do better than most people is the ability to compartmentalize the ability when they're competing. When you're competing, is to really have a high level of focus and concentration on what you're doing and being able to kind of push aside for the moment outside um, kind of distractions. Although I do think it's important to address those distractions during your downtime so they don't rear their ugly head during competition. Um, But I think part of the challenge now is how do you create. Um, your own competition with your practices. So like you don't know when your next real competition is. So my challenge to athletes is kind of start thinking at various times. I know you and I have talked about this. Let's say you're gonna go play a set or two today. Like maybe think about this as a regular match. Go to sleep the time you would with a match, eat and hydrate as you would if it was a match. Or let's say another day you're, kind of, you're, you're focusing on practicing. Like, okay, really lock in and kind of really address that as as almost like match play working on your, you know, your backhand down the line. Um, really just kind of try to approach your practices as if they were mini matches. Uh, even though that's hard to simulate totally, uh, I think it gets to you in the mindset of, of, of competition.
1: I think taking this on a little more of a positive route, which I think we all need at times, um... I think a lot of people have found silver linings in you know, what has taken place, and this is not to diminish whatever, you know, everything that's going on in the world, but finding silver linings, whether it's just we're spending more time with family, I'm doing something I've never done before. But in athletics, what do you want to see athletes using this time for right now while maybe they don't have all this downtime during competition? How would you like to see, obviously, since we work
2: together, what would you like to see from me during a time like this? Well, I, you know, I think, for instance, for you, I know that this has given you a time you hadn't anticipated to kind of work on behind the racket, what it means, how to grow and 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 you mean build like that, that grow concept like six inches,
0: or because I mean that would be <laughs> massive for him.
1: No, that's, that's your Mohawk. Yeah.
2: Um but I, but I think actually how you model this in terms of that is that. I think this affords people an opportunity to sometimes spend time and energy and think about what else is important in their lives. Uh, you know this could be relationship for some people, this could be some um, kind of philanthropic process. this could be you know a bunch of things. You know for you, I know a lot of that time and energy is around um, you know, uh, kind of behind the racket and building that and growing that. And you're able to devote time and energy that in a way that you wouldn't have. So I think it is important yeah, um, this is easier for some people than other people to find, like Mike, probably for you, you probably had more, and this could be stressful, but also probably enjoyable, time with your daughter. Right. That if you were out there, you know, uh, in match after match, and I've, I've, I've watched you on TV, so I know what that, that schedule looks like from afar. Incredibly demanding. Now, taking care of, I think you have a five-year-old mm-hmm. is pretty demanding as well, it but, is. you know, there is an aspect of connecting with your kid in ways that you probably never expected because of the schedule. So. I think we all have to try to find that aspect of like, how do we make the best of the situation, even though we may not be doing exactly what we want to be doing in the way we want to do it.
0: I'm going to ask you an opinion question here, uh, Dr. Katz. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this correctly. So, so when I know as a broadcaster, when I'm maybe doing kind of that first tournament of the year, um, when players have had their six to eight week off season, you don't really know what to expect, right? Uh, because some players that they hit that off season and are attacking it, going you know big into their off season. Some players really need that break. What type of player do you think will be successful uh, coming out of this prolonged period of absence? Is it somebody who has been able to step away and and really kind of be away from uh, all the drama you know, in, in social media, something, somebody like that? Is it somebody who just continuously works out? What, what kind of person do you think will be most successful going into those first few weeks leading into the U.S. Open?
2: Well, I would say this. I would say it's, there are many ways to approach that. So I think it's less about that and more about what the expectations are. Hmm. When I would be working with somebody, it would be more about how to manage their expectations coming in. And part of what I would say is, you got to be prepared for everything. This is unprecedented. So, like what I said, you might be, the adrenaline might be going, you might be fired up to compete, you might be locked in. And then all of a sudden it's 2 2 in the second set and like you're spent, like hitting the wall in a marathon because you don't, it's been so long and you don't recognize how draining these last six months are going to be. So, this is where you asked an earlier question, which is a good one. How do you prepare for the unexpected? that's what I would want to work with somebody on. Hey, we you need to get mentally prepared for anything to be thrown at you. Like you could go from high to low. You could have emotional volatility on the court. You may be an even kill guy, but all of a sudden, like you're all over the place. You're, you're almost crying at one point and you're ecstatic at the next. You just need to be this, uh, po- you need to be aware of the kind of emotional possibilities that are present and not get like, blindsided by it, but be ready to slow yourself down and try to deal with it effectively in the moment.
1: Yeah. I think I've had a lot of difficulties with that is when you have this rush of energy and excitement and thrill, and then you're faced with that one in compared to other things, minor speed bump. And that's what throws you over. It wasn't all the big things prior. It was when you got the excitement, you're ready to go. And then that minor speed bump hits and you're like, wow, I just couldn't handle one more. I mean, that really threw me. And I think that's something that I've always dealt with is this understanding that even when things are going well, it doesn't mean nothing's going to happen and you have to be prepared for the little things that come in daily life. You know, not just because we don't necessarily have a pandemic anymore, doesn't mean you're not going to face X, Y, and Z when you get back into the real world. And I think getting that slow momentum into it and being even throughout, I think that's going to help a lot of people.
0: Well, well said, Noah. And I, I think that's a, a good way to kind of wrap this one up because I got to tell you, the number of speed bumps, Dr. Katz, that I have to encounter uh, working with <laughs> Noah Rubin every single week of, you know, who is he going to swear at this week? Uh, you know, how do I, do I decide to clean up the fact that he just said that Rafa Nadal's legs are pathetic? I mean, I was just like, oh, do I have to take that out? I mean, Serena's Rafa Nadal
1: legs are
2: pathetic. I mean, that's I, what I, my, know, I, I kind of... I view this as little as couples therapy. I know this is maybe a side gig where I'm working with you, and I'm not sure what the outcome will be. Hopefully, it'll be a, a sustained marriage and not a divorce, but... Uh you know, this this is the first session, so I, I would like you to try to be caring and loving to each each other before sure. we meet again. And all hopefully right. there's a, a, no major marital discord.
0: I mean, the good Help thing is he doesn't way. swear at me as much as he swears at all the top players in the world. I mean, that's right. been the yes. easy part, you know. I,
1: I curse once, and then <laughs> Mary Jane is okay. so upset with everything and how I've been raised. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, Dr. Katz, we really do appreciate it, and uh, we'll be checking in with you again next
2: month as well. Okay, guys, appreciate it. Good talking.
1: The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at
0: NoahRubin33, at MikeC Tennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday, and don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you behind the racket.